Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. John Strong is the voice of American soccer, Fox Sports lead soccer play by play announcer, man of the world. I'm going to ask him about this college uh, football conundrum we've been talking about. Now, uh, NIL, NCAA saying they're not going to uh, pursue punishments for possible uh, NCAA violations for NIL inducements. You've got Florida State suing its conference. You've got the college football playoff just about to expand for two years. But the two years after that, the SEC and the Big Ten are fighting over births already in another expansion. Uh, you've got uh, the Pac-12 imploding. You've got uh, a lot of money, the transfer portal, greed. Uh, and some people are turned t- turned off by it. But will they stop watching? I don't know about that. I, I think you might line up and watch if there's a good game on. And so are they getting some of this right or not? Or am I alone in looking at this and saying, gosh, we're ruining this? John Strong, voice of American soccer with us. How are you, man? I got to say, the the way you slammed the door on Stephen there at the end of the last segment, I was getting bad flashbacks to when I was on with you. <laughs> you know what he wanted to know? Stephen, what did you want to know? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you have a problem with uh, the 12-team playoff already looking to be replaced by a 14- or 16-team playoff before uh, it even starting. Now, see, we're right up against the commercial break. and I, I get... Where have I heard that before? Don Garber. <laughs> 2007, the night the night that my career almost ended before it started. Tell the story. Go ahead. Tell the story. Let's see how good so you are. Tell this, the story. This is like a month into the very existence of this program, and I was fresh out of college in Oregon. I had no clue what I was doing. I was your producer in huge, sarcastic air quotes, because especially then, you were not going to be produced by anyone. But like the first guest I'd ever booked was MLS Commissioner Don Garber, who... We didn't quite know it at the time, but that was his first visit to Portland. Merritt Paulson had just bought the Timbers, and that was the first in-person meeting about what if we did an MLS expansion team in Portland. And listen, there's a whole long story. It involves names like Mike Golub and Jay Allen and Lars Larson and all that, but the short version is you hung up on Don Garber, commissioner of MLS, live on the air because you were up against a break, and I think you also misunderstood like the big red button is the hang-up as compared to the, the very yeah. nice put him on hold. What's and the I difference? Still, What's the difference between putting somebody on hold and hanging up on him? I'm not talking to me. If you put either. him on hold, then some schlub like me can get on. Hey, Don, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And if you hit the big red button, it's like click, beep. And I still remember to this day, <laughs> after you did that, and my heart sinks, and I look at the phone panel, and after like a five-second pause, it starts blinking again which means it's ringing, and it's like my entire life flashing before my eyes as one of my former employers who had arranged the interview, and I remember him saying, John, what the heck just happened? I'm like, uh, I don't know. So that was a fun day. So, yeah, up against the break, all those sorts of things, big emotional flashbacks. How are you, bud? Good to see you. You you know, I had Garber back on, and I talked to him after that, and we're good. I know, a few times. He's a New York guy. He gets it. Like, I was done with him. Go away. He's dealing with bigger fish right now than uh, local radio host. <laughs> yes. What, what do you What do you think about what I'm talking about? I, you know, you see it across sports. I mean, there's more money. There's bigger platforms. All of this stuff seems less innocent by the minute. But 
At what point do you think fans go, enough's enough, I needed my college sports to be at least pretending to be innocent? It's tough because it sounds super cynical to say what I'm going to say. But I think there's enough evidence at this point that there really is a disconnect between very legitimate, very meaningful, very important, bigger picture conversations about the confluence of sports and money and politics and human rights and and all of these sorts of things and people just wanting to sit and watch the game. And this is something I think you've nailed over the years, that there's a lot of us, and, and it doesn't make you a bad person, it doesn't make you you know, callous and uncaring to some of the bad things that go on in the world, but you know, I, and I can relate to this as well. This is kind of me as a football fan, where I so look forward to just sitting on the couch Sunday afternoon, Saturday night, whatever it is, and I just want to watch my team play, and I kind of want to escape from the world for a while. So I don't really know that there's a huge connection between those two things. And, and you know, it's a much larger conversation. One of your callers the past segment makes a terrific point that I was going to make. When you say greed, is that the greed of the bowl games? Is that the greed of the conference commissioners? Is that the greed of the last 40 years of college football? Is, it just, is this just consolidation? Is this normal? Is this natural? There's, a, bunch, there's a, a swirling confluence of things here, including the fact that you are starting to get to this point where everyone from the players looking to unionize to the NIL collectives to you know, the people running Florida State are like, wait a minute. Is any of this stuff actually legal? Can, do you, does anyone actually have the power to tell us we can't do these things we want to do? And the unfortunate answer for the NCAA and for a lot of other people is actually no, there isn't. So as you've talked about a lot, all of this could have been avoided. Better decisions could have been made, particularly in the 1980s when the Supreme Court case with TV rights sort of ripped the first Band-Aid off. And because people wanted to hold on to the way it had always been, because it benefited them, we, we get ourselves in these convulsions of change and chaos. But yeah, for me as a Duck, as a Duck fan, like, i kind of looking forward to see, like, it's cool. They're playing Ohio State, they're playing Michigan, they're still playing UW, I, they're still playing Oregon State, thankfully. Like, there, there's a better access pathway now. Like, how do they stack up at the top level to play for a national title? I'm looking forward to this fall, even as it kind of breaks my heart how we got there. I look at, you know, and I'm kind of a throwback in that I, I thought that the commissioners of the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, soccer, I thought they were always looking out for the best interest of the game, like Kennesaw Mountain Landis was doing with the Black Sox in 1919. And then I later found out, and I lost my innocence, John Strong, when I found out these commissioners work for the owners. And they're not, they're thinking about printing money. They're not thinking about what's best for the game. Is there anybody thinking about what's best for college athletics? I suppose it means, or it depends on what you mean by that, you know, and, and I understand the sort of protection of the innocence of it, but also, and, and this was sort of my inside view of the sausage making when I was a student at Oregon, and you kind of see like, you know, man, as Oregon football is really blowing up, you know, and the AD is making more, and the people that work around the athletic department, all the different offices are making more, and you know, the coaches of the non-revenue sports, they certainly benefit when Oregon football has a good season, and that was in the days before guaranteed TV revenue. Oregon football wins a game, earns another national TV game, earns another big paycheck. You know, hey, the coaches of the other sports might get a little raise, except the actual players themselves aren't getting a cut of it. So, so there was always that sense of, like, none of this is really great, and the more you learn about it, 
the uglier it is. So, yeah, in my mind, I'd like I'm a big believer in in everyone getting a cut of the action. If if your labor is going into this product, you should get a piece of that. And if you have success and you know your team does well, you have a big season and everyone else is benefiting, you should be benefiting too while also providing what I do think is a really important element of college athletics and something that does set the United States apart in a good way from almost every other country on earth, which is the ability for a lot of kids, men and women, in all sorts of different sports that maybe get access to a college degree and to a type of education that they wouldn't have access to otherwise because of their athletic ability. Now, that shouldn't be the only avenue, but but there is a lot of good that can come from it if we can keep this whole thing from completely unraveling because of how it's been historically mismanaged. John Strong, Fox Sports lead play-by-play announcer. It's called Hundreds of Games, Soccer Games. Uh, give me an idea, because you come up at Lake Oswego High School, and you've, you you started broadcasting games when nobody was listening, Laker broadcasting, calling football and basketball games, and then one day you grow up and you know, you're covering World Cup games, and you're broadcasting on the big stage. What is that like to uh, have that arc or in that moment before do they call it kickoff in a world cup before they kick uh what what are you thinking you know it's funny i did an interview once on the fox affiliate in milwaukee and if the guy the interviewed me did the same thing like do they call it a kickoff in soccer it's like yeah do they do don't worry about it um <laughs> it's neat so i and i'm sitting in my office right now downstairs and i'm kind of in the middle of, of redoing it but i have intentionally selected mementos sort of of my life around me. So to my right, I've got two, they seem to be hung up, but two large size canvas prints of panoramic photos that I took just on my phone from my vantage point at the two world men's World Cup finals that I've called, like of the whole stadium scene. But I also around me have all sorts of, I got like my collection of Dairy Queen Blazers glasses from the early <laughs> 90s, and I've got little mementos from grandparents and my first OSAA press pass from Laker Broadcasting when I was a senior in high school. And, and, and I do it all intentionally from a sense of, man, this, like, it's really cool what I've been able to do, and I'm very lucky about that. It's important that I don't get caught up in thinking that the pictures to my right, which is the World Cup Finals, like, that's normal. I deserve that. Like that's, and, and be reminded of where I've come from and the work that I've put in and be appreciative of all the little things because absolutely, and, and you know, the two things I have with me at those World Cups, they're in the, it's not really a booth, it's a tribunal, but I've got a folder that I got on a tour of the Rose Garden my sophomore year of high school. It's like a, a little folder with a Blazers basketball um, cover to it. And then sitting on my left is my buddy Eric that I've known since middle school, who comes along as our statter and spot, uh, spotter statistician assistant. And, and I love having those two things with me, A, because I trust Eric with my life if he puts something in front of me, B, because I like to be reminded with that folder of like this journey that I've taken. So it's neat, it's special, I've got the potential for some amazing things in the next couple of years, but also... You know, as you like to say, it's not show friends, it's show business. And if it all gets taken away from me tomorrow, well, shoot, at least I got to do it. You're not, you're never as good or as bad as they say. Remember that. Mm-hmm. And I need to, I need to get you a bobblehead doll so you can take it with you to the next World Cup final and you can sit it next I to you. I have your bobblehead doll. Right. I've take got it with it you. In my office. Why isn't it in Russia with you or 
Or, uh, or you know, where was the other one? I don't want to have to have that conversation with the dude at customs. That's too much effort. <laughs> All right, so give me an idea when you're in those countries for the World Cup. Do you get to, like, tour around, or is Fox taking you from hotel to venue, high security, we don't want, like, Vladimir Putin grabbing you? Uh, it kind of depends. So, like, in Russia, there was very much a sense of, like, please, 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 whatever you do, don't just go wander around. If you're going to go somewhere, go with someone or make sure that we know where you are. And this was, you know, 2018 and 2017. Um, in saying that, I still got to see a lot of Russia, and that was still a really cool moment. The first night we were there for the World Cup, and we had just arrived, and I went for a walk around Moscow with a group of people, and I'm standing there in Red Square, and I'm standing there in front of St. Basil's Cathedral, and there's the Kremlin on the other side of the wall, and you're like, okay, this is Moscow, this is Russia, this is, this is a pretty interesting place for an American to be, particularly someone like me that loves history. And similarly in Qatar... You know, we could sort of go wander around, but we were also doing games every single day. So there was a necessary Groundhog Day-like existence of wake up, work out, eat some food, get some work done, hop in the car, head to the stadium, you know, drive home and sort of start the process over again, which is why last summer was so cool. We had the Women's World Cup in Australia, and Australia is an amazing country. Sydney is an incredibly easy city to get around. You know, if you're someone that maybe sort of scoffs at the notion of public transportation, visit Sydney, Australia. It is the most easily accessible and navigable big city I've ever been to in my life. And so I really was able to feel like I explored someplace that I'd always, always, always wanted to visit. And that's one of the neat things about this job. It's taken me around the country, and I've gotten to experience places around the, this country of ours that have been so enriching and enlightening. But I've also been able to go to some pretty amazing parts of the world, and, and hopefully that trend continues. And that's part of it of, you know, this sport and this job has taken me places that I had always dreamed of going. And, and that's to get paid to do that. That's your job. That's pretty special. What's, uh, what's this next round of World Cup qualifying and the World Cup going to be like? And, uh, you know, in the soccer world, how excited are people about this? So I gave earlier this winter... Um, I spoke to a group, U.S. Adult Soccer, and they basically run like adult amateur leagues and stuff. And they had their regional meeting up at one of the hotels at the airport. And these are people that, you know, work in soccer all the time. And I said to them, none of us have any clue, as much as we think we might, none of us have any clue what the summer of 2026 is going to be like and how much more so everyone else that isn't necessarily following this day-to-day -day like people like me. When the Men's World Cup comes to North America, and it's going, to be a, it's going to be a month and a half long. You know, when Johnny Infantino, the president of FIFA, says it's going to be like having a series of Super Bowls every single day, yes, that's hyperbole. Yes, that's the guy in charge of global soccer saying that. But he's not wrong. That is going to be an incredible summer. Think of it like when the U.S. has hosted Olympic Games, and we'll have the games in L.A. in 2028, except this is across the entire country, and it's for a month and a half. And to have the U.S. men's team playing a game in Seattle at Lumen Field, I would argue that is as significant a part of Paul Allen's legacy as the fact that the Seahawks stayed around and ended up winning a Super Bowl. Because that will put Seattle and the Pacific Northwest on a type of global stage that's just different to other stuff, to be hosting World Cup games and to have the U.S. there. So that summer is going to be amazing. And I think every single day the people that work in soccer – 
are putting the work in now to maximize what that's going to be. And it will take over this country in a way that I think, as, as I said, is hard for those of us in soccer to really wrap our head around, let alone for people on the outside. Now, does it mean that the day after it ends, 100 million Americans are going to be diehard soccer fans and MLS is going to be getting NFL-type ratings? No, of course not. But for that period in time, that is going to feel like the most special thing to those of us that have labored in the shadows for years for the sake of soccer. It's going to be an incredible month and a half, and the fact that you know Fox has the rights and I stand to, to play a role in it um, is something I think about all the time and is incredibly exciting. All right, I found something out. Maybe uh, you can confirm this, but I am being told by sources that some of the World Cup teams that are attempting to qualify that will be playing in Seattle and then alternately in Southern California at different venues, uh, that there is a chance two teams are going to be, uh, I guess what they call housed or practicing here in the Portland metropolitan area. Have you heard that yet? I would certainly hope so. And, and if Nike has any clue what they're doing, and of course they do, and by the way, and I've told people at Oregon this, if the University of Oregon has any clue what they're doing, and of course they do, they need to be host venues for these teams because you need to have some sort of a base camp. You need to have some sort of place to practice. Um, you need to have some sort of place to sort of have that training camp for two weeks before the World Cup. The facilities at the University of Oregon are world-class. They really, really are. That would be a beyond-perfect place, particularly for one of the Nike-affiliated teams, because the World Cup in the group stage, at least, is being set up regionally. They're trying to minimize that travel. So there will be teams, like the U.S. is going to base themselves in L.A. They play two games in L.A., one in Seattle. There will be other teams, other nations, that know they're going to be on the West Coast because you've got Seattle, you've got Vancouver, you've got Santa Clara, California, and you've got L.A. Eugene and or Portland at the Nike campus would be beyond perfect places. And then you also have all that ancillary, you know, it's like a, a traveling circus that follows these teams around with fans and media. And those would be things that I would highly encourage, not that they need the encouraging because people know this stuff. But that would be such a cool thing because it would elevate the brand of Portland. It would elevate the brand of the University of Oregon just to have those shots that go around the world of these teams, you know, in practice and those sorts of things. So that's absolutely something that, I expect is on people's radars now. Yeah, I heard that. I heard one of the team, base camp, you had the word, that they were yeah. going to set up base camp for two teams in the Portland metropolitan area. I guess that was at least the preliminary plan. Eugene's not a bad idea either. Uh, Strong, um, you know, we talk, I saw an interview, uh, Jerry Seinfeld was doing comedians in cars drinking coffee. He did this episode with Trevor Noah, and, you know, Seinfeld was saying, hey, football's our sport, real American football is the sport. And 100 million people watch the Super Bowl. And Trevor Noah came back and said 400 million watch a Premier League game. Like, you know, it. give us an idea. Like, you know, our sport moving into London, football saying they're going to play more games in Europe. Is that moving the needle over there? Or are they still going to go, yeah, 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 but, uh, you know, uh, football is the real sport. I think it's fascinating because it's happening both ways. So, by the way, tomorrow night in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, the NRL, which is the National Rugby League from Australia, they have a doubleheader of games. It's like their opening weekend of games of the season, and they brought four of the teams over, including the three-time defending champions, and they're doing a doubleheader in Las Vegas. It's going to be on FS1 tomorrow night. And they're, they're going all in on this, and they brought in 
all sorts of NFL players. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are a part of this. Russell Crowe narrated a video that they put out, like explaining the rules of, of rugby league. So this stuff cuts both ways, for sure. As much as the NFL is trying to grow internationally, and you're going to have a game in Brazil this coming year, you have a game in Spain they're planning, expanding into Germany in addition to, to London, other sports are trying to come the other way. And there's the globalization of sports here, which I think is really fascinating because it is. The, the Super Bowl and the NFL itself is very popular overseas when you talk about expats. So that's a lot of the fans that would come to an NFL game in London is American expats. Or, you know, you do have a curiosity factor. In fact, I'll tell you, I was in Adelaide, Australia last summer, and Adelaide had a very like Albany Corvallis type feel, Central Willamette Valley type feel to it. It's, it's the fifth biggest city in Australia. And we were in a little neighborhood cafe across the street from the stadium, and I had an Oregon Ducks hat on, and our server, Australian born and bred, immediately is like, oh, that's the Ducks, and we start talking football. He's a massive Philadelphia Eagles fan. So there is an element to this American pop culture, and I can tell you from my travels, whatever people around the world think of our government, our politics, American popular culture soft power remains undefeated. And the allure of the United States and, and sort of the razzmatazz is the word they love to use in England of the NFL, there's a heavy curiosity factor. It is also to most people around the world, American football, an incredibly strange, bizarre sport that makes zero sense to anyone. And who's to say who's wrong in that way? We would see the same about watching rugby, and we're like, what on earth is this? And it's an immensely popular sport. So you know, are we going to get to a point where the Super Bowl even scratches the surface of rivaling a big Premier League game, a UEFA Champions League game, a World Cup? No, I don't think we are because you're talking about centuries of fandom. But the NFL is all in on expanding internationally in the same way as a lot of other sports are. In fact, last summer, one of the big things in the U.S. was they launched a professional cricket league. Most of the teams were based in Texas, but cricket is the most popular sport in the Indian subcontinent with a couple of billion people there that love that sport, and they were trying to grow in the U.S. So all of this stuff is going back and forth at the same time. John Strong, the voice of American soccer and an expert on the razzmatazz of Europe. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch up shortly. I'm pleased to have chewed up 20 minutes of your Friday show. You're welcome. I love it. I was fascinated. Uh, hey, I appreciate you, man. I'll get you, you another bobblehead doll so you have some bookends. Love, right, it. There, love it. There he goes, John Strong, who used to be in Stephen's seat. His first job out of college. He couldn't get a job. We said, okay, come on in. We'll let you answer some phones. He ends up running the thing and on his way. Next thing you know, Fox hires him away. It happens. You know, transfer portal, NIL, alive and well, even then. Our big splash is coming up. We got John Papadakis, the singing linebacker, coming up top of the hour. He owned a Greek restaurant that was wildly popular with the USC football crowd. Pete Carroll would stop there, and uh, the uh, USC players would come there on recruiting visits. And he is the father of Petros Papadakis, the Fox broadcaster. It's a very Fox-heavy show today with John Strong, with the lead soccer play-by-play announcer for Fox on earlier and that, and then the father of Petros Papadakis on felt like maybe we should have John Strong's dad on the show. I don't know, you know, uh, go go for full circle with that stuff. Um, Stephen, I never answered your question. 
That's okay. I, I it was totally my fault. I understood. Uh, yeah, my question. <laughs> my question. We were just up against the thing, and then I was going to have to cut into John Stone's yeah, time. Usually, I'm more aware about that thing. I just wasn't paying attention. That's a, that's on me. It's a Friday, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But uh, yeah, no, I value I, your opinion. I was asking you. Uh, you know, we're already going to the 12 team playoff, and I know we all, all us fans want what's best for college football. But college football is already talking about making it a 14 or a 16 team playoff before we even see how the 12 team works out. Do you have a problem with that? Because I do. They have figured out because you're you're thinking out of it, of it from like an equity and a fan standpoint. But they've figured out that you know ESPN wants a few more games and there's a little more money and if they can add automatic qualifier spots, see that's why they're going from 12 to 14. They they know hey we can add some ad- automatic qualifier spots to the field that we can guarantee that we're going to get in on the payday. ESPN's not saying we'll give you more money. Their original deal was, I think it was $1.4 billion that they were offering for the playoff. It was on the low end. Then they all of a sudden said, well, we'll go from 12 to 14, and guess what? We'll add automatic qualifiers, and therefore we will guarantee that we get our slice of the pie and a bigger slice of the pie. So that's totally about, not about equity. It's not about the field. It's not about making the playoff better. It's about the SEC and the Big Ten going, if we add teams, that's two more automatic qualifiers we can get. And guess what? We can say with a straight face we're entitled Cause, to them. Because maybe 12 is perfect and we just don't know, and then we're going to get rid of it uh, already before we start. It's not even about what's right or what works. John Papadakis, the singing linebacker. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.